0: So for our first episode of the Fairy Tellers podcast, we wanted to kind of explain who we are and why we're doing this project and also go over some quick definitions of what fairy tales are, what fables are, what myths, legends, folk tales. That way, every time we kind of use those words, everyone will know what what I mean, what my definitions are.
1: Yeah, it'll be good for me, too, just because as people will learn in a second, I'm not anywhere near an expert in fairy tales or anything's any of these things. So it's like, you know, I'm going to be learning probably just as much as anyone listening to this as you kind of go through and explain what the, the actual definitions and things, uh, the differences between the different types of, you know, tales and folk tales and whatnot.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I recently like saw somebody's job description listed as a folklorist. And they're like, oh, I'm a person that studies, like, folklore. I'm like, oh, me too. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Except that, you know, they, like, got a degree in it. They're not, like, me who's just, like, I'm going to, like, read every book that anybody ever has written on it and then just sit alone with my knowledge. Anyway, that's a creepy way of describing why I'm into fairy tales. Let me tell a less creepy reason. <laughs> so anyway, I've always been really interested in superstitions, cryptozoology, and just different legends and like ghost stories and stuff. Ever since I like was in elementary school watching like Unsolved Mysteries with my parents, I just thought it was very fascinating. But it wasn't until I was actually studying early childhood development in college and was coming across different curriculums for early childhood that included fairy tales. And I kind of wanted, I was like, what is the point of teaching kids these like really old, like outdated stories? And so I actually was wanting to read them. My sister was going through a divorce at the time. And so she was living with me and what we would do is we would read Grimm's fairy tales at night and then laugh a lot. (laughs) Like (laughs) you wouldn't have thought that so much dark murder would be so hilarious, but it is. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, we would sit up at night and we would be telling these like stories to ourselves, like the bird, the Mouse and the Sausage, which is such a weird anthropomorphic sausage story.
1: <laughs> Long before Sausage Party was ever.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, so we were like just up at night, like goofing on these stories. And then my husband would come in the room and be like, what's so funny? And then I would quickly like retell him the story. And he was like, what? is this garbage? (laughs) And I, you know, I
1: need to learn more.
0: I need to know more about this. My, my sister ended up moving to a different state and settling out um, on the other side of the country, but I still wanted to make her laugh. And so I started writing up retellings of the fairy tales. And then she was like, other people need to see these. And so then I, I, made a blog and then i started researching more about fairy tales and the history of them and what's behind them and then i started forming opinions and (laughs) (laughs) and i wanted to tell people about it so it's funny because a couple months ago a friend of mine was like with all this controversy happening with the little mermaid I want to hear the original story, Katrina, but I don't want to just read it. I want you to tell me the original story because it's so much funnier. And I realized while I was writing that up on my blog and people can head over to the fairy tellers WordPress blog if they want to read that story. Um, But as I was writing it, I realized that I had a bunch of opinions (laughs) that really did not fit on the blog um because the blog isn't for me to be like actually in the history of the story and so i started joking around that i wanted to do a podcast and then here we are
1: (laughs) yeah i think it's really cool too like i've been following the blogs and stuff for for a long time and yeah like like,
0: four years
1: it's really cool that as I've learned more, you know, just from talking to you, which has been one of the things is like, yeah, I'll do a podcast because I loved hearing you explaining different things about what you've been learning. You know, I don't want to go through and sit down with like these musty old textbooks on fairy tales and folklore and stuff like that, but I will be happy to have it filtered through you, just like I'm happy to have all these folk tales filtered through you. But I was just thinking about how like what you said is by retelling these stories in your own way, like using GIFs and making jokes and stuff like that, you're kind of like participating in, the tradition of folk of, of these fairy tales and folk tales, in the sense that like people would tell their own versions and tailor them to their audience. And you're speaking in a way that speaks to a modern day audience by using memes and things like that. And it's like, not only is it just funny entertainment to like hear these old stories retold in a new and interesting, funny, entertaining way, but it's also like keeping that tradition alive, which is something that I think is really, really cool. And you know, one half of the reason why I'm really excited about this podcast
0: yeah and with the podcast because i had people even back the like four years ago they were saying this should be a podcast uh and one of the reasons why a podcast is such a good format for this is because people back in the day used to sit around telling each other these stories while they were like finishing up any kind of sit down work that they needed to do. And it was normally like women who were trying to finish up laundry or sewing or whatever. And so they'd just be telling each other these stories and cackling. And so I hope that while we're doing this podcast that, you know, at least some of our audience is half listening, half folding their laundry.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true. Like, in you know, so much of what folk, tales and fairy tales used to be has been replaced by you know more what we would consider like traditional media like tv and movies and stuff like that where it requires kind of more total concentration you have to like watch it and listen and pay attention and um i think it's just been really recently with podcasts that it's been coming back like even radio kind of had fallen fallen away a little bit but you know people really are like i know for myself when i listen to podcasts is like when I'm driving to and from work, like I can't be watching videos or Netflix shows while I'm driving or like I'm at the gym, which is, you know, rarer than it used to be. But, you know, like, <laughs> you know, while I'm otherwise engaged doing stuff. And again, like you said, too, it's like when I'm cleaning, if I, especially if I'm by myself, like I just flip on a podcast so I can listen to something while I'm doing all these other menial chores. So it's like like you said, it's the perfect format, a way to continue this oral tradition you know, using technology to we- reach a-, a broader audience, but it's still, like, very much kind of getting to the heart of what folktales and fairy tales were supposed to be and how they were supposed to be told.
0: Yeah, because the thing that makes a fairy tale a thing that makes, like, a folktale is the oral tradition of it, the actual speaking it out loud, not the person typing it up and then the other person reading it, you know, at a different location. It it was... it was an a performative art and a podcast, I feel like gets it a little bit closer to that. I mean, you do have the thing of, you know, I'm not
1: separated through time and space.
0: Exactly. Yeah. The difference between like theater versus watching something on TV. So there's a little bit of a difference in the performance like of it, but it still is that like, my words are flying into your ears. (laughs) on the wings of birds my <laughs> words are attacking your ears <laughs>
1: so before we go much further and i keep butchering and mixing up the differences between fairy tales folk tales all that stuff maybe we should you know enlighten me as to what the differences are cuz you know that's something that i don't really understand like what what makes a fairy tale what makes a folk tale
0: absolutely i'm so glad you asked Because I would love to enlighten you. What I live for is somebody just like coming up to me like on the bus and being like, can you tell me the difference between like a fairy tale and a folk tale? Like, yes, thank you. I will have this conversation with you. As I've been studying fairy tales, uh, one thing I was finding interesting was that the more that I looked into it, the more tangled the word fairy tale gets. Because there are lots of different people who have, like, different perceptions of it. And I actually recently got this book that's called Fairy Tales, A Very Short Introduction. And it's by Marina Warner, uh, who actually wrote this other book that I had gotten into years ago. Uh, but this is, like, a brief outline. It's funny because one in the very first chapter, there, this is <laughs> like, heading that's like, The Thorny Hedge questions of definition because it really is even among experts people who study this the definition for fairy tales it is controversial which i'm sure when people decided to listen they weren't like oh can't wait to get into the controversy of fairy tales (laughs) that
1: juicy juicy controversy
0: (laughs) uh and It's interesting. I don't know how many people would know this, but the title to Animal Farm used to be by George Orwell. I know people are gonna be like, did I hear that right? Is she talking about Animal Farm like from English lit? Yes, I am. (laughs) But it was called Animal Farm, a fairy story. Because the definition for a fairy tale used to be a lot looser. Where it basically was, like, anytime a story involved any kind of, like, magic or transformations, talking animals, anything like that, they were like, it oh, this is a fairy tale. So there are a lot of books that used to be considered fairy tales, um, and that some people actually do still consider fairy tales. Hans Christian Andersen, I'm sure people have heard of him. Um of the little mermaid fame (laughs) (laughs) um people have even said uh lewis carroll's uh alice in wonderland is a fairy tale that used to be considered a fairy tale same as pl travers's uh mary poppins so lots of stories that included fairy tale elements people are like oh that is a fairy tale or they'll be like, "Oh, a fairy tale for our time," and I'm like, "Oh, no, no, no! I'm gonna fight you."
1: Yeah. So what what's different? What makes them not those things? Not fairy tales?
0: So the definition that I am working with for fairy tales are uh, stories that have uh, magic, transformations, uh, talking animals, but those stories have to come through an oral tradition. Which means they have to have been passed down generationally through time. So they have to have, like, come from somewhere. And a definition that does a better job of kind of encompassing that, or a word that does a better job of strict gatekeeping on that is folktales. When when you say folktale, that absolutely has to come from the, the Volk. The people, like it has to have been passed down through long traditions. So fairy tales are folk tales, but then not all fairy tales neatly fit into folk tale.
1: This is the old, you know, square, rectangle, rectangle, square thing all over again.
0: Yeah, it's like it's very murky water. Um, but for me, I'm kind of a person that I, <laughs> if I say folk tale, I mean a fairy tale. If a fairy tale is not a folk tale, then I don't think it's a fairy tale. Gotcha. But not all storytellers do. So, for instance, Hans Christian Andersen, The Little Mermaid, I don't consider that a fairy tale because even though it includes fairy tale elements, it has one author, the person who originally wrote it. And what's interesting is a lot of his stories were based off of folk tales, and so Agnet and the Merman, which is a story that he based his The Little Mermaid off of,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that is a folktale. That is a fairy tale to me.
1: Gotcha. So it's basically one of the big distinctions being like, you know, the single author thing. Like like you said, it's a folktale. It comes from the people. It's something that's just there's no one person that's credited with having created it. It's just this common story that's told through everyone. So. Yeah, that makes sense. And I actually never knew that Hans Christian Andersen was writing these stories like just out of his own imagination. I thought it was kind of like a a Brothers Grimm situation there, where like they did take stories that were around and they were just collecting the stories and recording them. Yeah. But they didn't. They didn't actually write them. They may have like again had to make some choices on what they included and what they didn't based on the, all the different versions that they heard. But I always thought that Hans Christian Andersen was the same thing where he was taking, you know, the folktales of his area and writing them down. I didn't realize that he was actually just being inspired by his own folktales and then writing his own thing, kind of like, um, you know, J.R.L. Tolkien, where he was inspired heavily by, you know, English mythology, especially like Norse and Scandinavian mythology and, and taking those elements making them very much his own and making, you know, what he considered to be kind of like a, a, a mythology. Yeah. Not really a mythology, but a mythology for, you know, England that was like truly just English in his mind.
0: Yeah. And what really, what helped him along creating the world of like Lord of the Rings, like creating Middle Earth, what helped him along was the collective understanding of fairy tale elements. Because if you start talking about dwarves, People immediately are like, oh, I know what those are. Or I I have some idea of what he must be talking about because there's this shared element. There's this shared language. When he talks about elves, people understand what he means, but then he also had the freedom to make them his own. Yeah. And to also add new creatures. And it's because he had a solid foundation of past characters to draw from to create what he was making
1: yeah and it is interesting too that i mean even going a step further although it's we're getting a little off topic here but you know now people (laughs) now people take his work and use that like because people are familiar with the the things that he's created like they can easily shortcut elves and orcs and all halflings and hobbits and whatever. Yeah. And people get an understanding and image of what that is. So it's yeah. kind of cool how it just like, they f- it all feeds into each other.
0: Yes. That like these creations can create more creations and there's a shared understanding, which is awesome. Another s- thing that happens when I'm telling a, f- a fairy tale or a folk tale is sometimes, you know, I'll get to the end of the story and somebody will ask me, what was the point of that? What was the moral? And... I'm like, oh, I think what you were expecting was a fable. Because, and again, fables also have this interesting, loose definition that moves around. But fables to me, when I say fables, I'm talking about talking animals, stories about talking animals with a clear moral at the end. Or sometimes they write them at the beginning. But people usually are thinking of Aesop's fables
1: yeah, I was gonna say that's the only thing that I really yeah. think of.
0: there's also um chess so stories would fall under fables for me. And what chess so stories are are how the rhino got its wrinkly skin because oh. usually in those stories, some of some stories that are chess so stories. We have to be careful because some of those have been written by just one author right. Um, I think Kipling was one of them. I'd have to double check that. but other people, it's it, they're actually part of kind of like a mythology that then exits out of mythology and goes into folktale. Right. Because since it's not religiously attached... See, all of these terms, they run into each other, which is why we're defining them.
1: Exactly. But well, the thing that
0: and because in Chesso stories, there's usually a very clear moral like Rhino was grumpy and greedy and he got what was coming to him. And so like you shouldn't be grumpy and greedy or you'll get what's coming to you.
1: Well, the thing that I am surprised by is like, so you're saying they have to be talking animals.
0: Yes. Because
1: I kind of always thought that the definition was more leaning to the side of having a, you know, like a clearly stated moral like when like arrested development i always think about the dad like using the guy whose arm falls off to teach his kids a lesson it's like and that's why you always leave a note or whatever i was like that's a clear class a clear yeah, you know example of a modern fable
0: yeah you're like it's a modern fable And you know what? If I was like retelling that story and I turned that man into just a lizard that could quickly detach its tail.
1: (laughs) uh, (laughs) Maybe it would. would Yeah, I'd be like,
0: and that's why you always leave a note. And I also
1: didn't, I didn't um, think about the fact like, so fables kind of being a subcategory of folk tales like fairy tales are. Like it's that oral tradition, no definitive author because like with Aesop's fables, he didn't write those. He just collected them or or not. So. Are we-
0: so yes, Jeff, Aesop's fables are actually a collection of fables that got uh, credited to Aesop. Um, he was a storyteller in ancient Greece. but he was again a collector. but since you know, we're talking about when when I say ancient Greece, I mean like 620 BCE. Oh, wow. So, like, predating the Bible is what I'm talking about. Like, I'm talking Old Testament is when they were recorded. And so it is hard to tell, like, do we credit, like, did he come up with them by himself? Because he said that he collected them. But we'll also find, as we discuss more, like, in the episodes to come in the podcast, that that is a technique that some authors have used to trick people into thinking that they're reading something that a story that's older than it really is.
1: Right. And again, going back to Tolkien, that's uh that's something that he like he kind of used that technique. Again, not in complete seriousness, but his whole thing was like he found Bilbo's written story and he was just, you know, passing it on to us.
0: Yes. To to lend this like air of mystery. And so when we're looking at Aesop's fables, and we're like, Oh, I thought Aesop wrote them. And it's like, well, maybe he says he collected them. And maybe we should believe him. Uh but who knows. But yeah, Fair like enough. it's very hard to tell when you're looking back nearly three thousand years. Um it's hard to tell if somebody is telling the truth or not.
1: Yeah, I mean it's so separate through time, it's like how else would we how how would we confirm it or not? Yeah. You know? It's tough.
0: So when it comes to fables, and I say, oh, they have to have animals, and you're looking at like arrested development, and like, oh, that was teaching like a moral I thought it was a modern day fable that would be considered a morality tale because it doesn't include animals but it does teach a lesson of what's right versus like what's wrong it it's teaching a lesson and I I feel like it's a lot narrower of a lesson than like a true morality tale that usually includes like broader understandings of good versus evil Right. As opposed to, like, always leave a note. Like, (laughs) this is a morality tale. (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: like it's not going to save your soul to have left a note.
0: Or will it? Who knows? Who don't know? Are you getting your kicks on Route 66? If you're passing by the Petrified Forest, make sure to stop in Joseph City on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday for Mr. G's Pizza ask for Andy, and if he's there, let him know that he can run from the law, but he can't run from the eyes of Zeus. Grab a slice or a whole pie to go, or enjoy Mr. G's Pizza in the back room, which features theater seats and movies perfect for the whole family. Mr. G's Pizza, the only restaurant in town worth going to. So, as like, I think it's getting pretty clear that like all of these definitions, they do—they twist on each other, they climb onto each other, they lead to each other, and uh, mythology is another thing that we're going to be covering, like in this podcast, because it's very hard to separate mythological elements from fairy tale elements. So mythologies are basically stories from a lot earlier on that are to teach like how the earth was made, how the seasons changed. They were stories that were created by people to make sense of the human condition and explain
1: unexplainable things around them.
0: Yes. Like what happens when we die questions that now we kind of think of as more either (laughs) they're like split between scientific questions and religious religious questions. questions. (laughs) Now they're, in mythology, they're intertwined, the two things, because they didn't have the science that they do to explain seasons, and they also hadn't created religions yet to explain life's mysteries, like where does the soul come from, where does it go like after it dies, what makes a person a person, what is the value of a human life. They yeah hadn't come up with any clear answers, and they used mythologies to... Uh, answer those questions and to bind them as a community.
1: And you talk about too, like when you say mythology, Mm -hmm. I think a lot about, you know, like every, whenever you're learning about history, when they go all the way back, you know, it's like you learn about the creation myth of each culture and it's different. You know, I remember learning about like the creation myth of like Japan and and, like there are all these like Native American creation myths and it's just really interesting how, Every culture, when you take it all the way back to the beginning, they're coming up with these stories that, like you like you said, explain things that they don't understand. It's like where, where the earth must have come from somewhere. So what, what was that? And it's really interesting to see, you know, how how their cultures that you can still see traces of, you know, now the cultures that they've become. I don't know, like how different values that these cultures have have worked their way into the myth, or because of the myths have been something that's gotten passed down to their current, you know, states.
0: Yeah. Uh, cause the one, the creation myth that I'm probably the most familiar with and probably any Western listeners, the most familiar with is Adam and Eve. Right. Just because that, that one is in the Bible and then the Bible spread and, you know, got disseminated and the Bible stories are in a lot of Western literature. Yeah. So, like, mythologies are really interesting to study.
1: And they're alluded to all the time, like you said. I mm-hmm. mean, they talk about Greek mythology. Like, you know, you've got your Achilles tendon. Yes. You, know, you talk about, like, something being, like, a Sisyphean task or
0: – A Herculean task.
1: Or a Herculean task. I mean, like like – and that's everywhere, especially if you go into, like, literature like Shakespeare or whatever. It's, like, they're constantly talking about –
0: They are. Cupid and Psyche is one that, um, the love story between Cupid and Psyche. That's one that comes up a lot. And also that love story between Cupid and Psyche, it comes up in a lot of fairy tales. So where, where the connection is between mythologies and fairy tales is mythologies were created and then religions were created alongside of that because religions were are formed so that people can um, have tasks that they can complete or rituals that they can complete that give them a sense of control over their lives or gaining favor with the gods. And so after you've created this mythology that, you know, Thor is going to come with his hammer and he's going to defeat the the Frost Giants, so that you can start planting your harvest, and he's gonna beat the frost giants back so that you have enough time to gather those in again. After you have created that mythology, you are going to want to try to appeal to those gods to, or to either thank them for defeating those frost giants or to ask them to defeat those frost giants. But once somebody has created a religion around like a mythology, those characters then take on an aspect of holiness where you're not allowed to use them. A culture is not allowed to use them for basic storytelling because it's blasphemous. It's, right, it's kind
1: of becomes like canonized. You have to follow what the rules are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you so you can't just create a story around like Thor doing something that might be out of character or might taint him in a bad light and so one thing how f- one thing that helps create fairy tales and lead them away from mythology is they had to create kind of characters that they were allowed to play around with that they're allowed to um blaspheme with <laughs> 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 almost every now and then you'll encounter a f- kind of where fairy tales or mythologies bump up against a local religion and those are going to be fun to examine because there are tales of um, from Irish mythology where priests will come into it where Christian priests have come into the area and have tried to overpower these kind of pagan characters and the more christian that a area got or any religion if if it started taking over an area you'll see it start to overtake some of the the local mythologies or the local fairy tales and defeat the local characters
1: so when you say that do you mean basically like the stories that they were telling go away or basically the like re- like the religious characters kind of take places of different characters in their stories and kind of like embody them? I mean... Or does it v- vary?
0: I mean, it definitely varies. But what I was talking about specifically was that you'll start seeing people telling stories about priests being able to like overpower. So for instance, there's this one tale in Ireland where there's this very powerful crone or hag... Um, which is actually, those words are considered negative connotations now, but they, that it used to mean just a very old, powerful witch, somebody who mm-hmm. just had a lot of powers. Um, and there's, well, this... the fact
1: that they're like negative words now is very indicative of the way that
0: exactly these things got taken over. Exactly.
1: Because a priest came in and he had more power than the hag. And yes, so the a Catholic figures... priest.
0: Yeah, a Catholic priest in a story. Came in and was able to subdue her and freeze her into rock, and or he was able to like call down the power of God to like freeze this hag inside of stone. Um, And so those start to be the stories that that are told by the people in the local area because they're coming up with stories of people of their religious figures being able to defeat other cultures mythological or religious figures
1: mm-hmm. interesting
0: yeah it is it's fascinating and we'll also see tales where where the grimm's brothers they'll tell stories that start to include christianity weaved into it but it's interesting because they always make sure that you know the the character that they like is able to trick the devil. He's able to defeat the devil. There's a story, the child of Mary, where the Virgin Mary adopts this little girl and who's like homeless and takes her up into heaven. But then she breaks the rules of heaven and is kicked out of heaven and so you'll see a little bit of religious crossover into fairy tales, but normally fairy tales are trying to operate outside of religions so that they're characters right. that that kind of exist in their own time and space. They're not to explain like where the sun is coming from, but they take place in unknown kingdoms in with like kings of unknown origins.
1: Right. It's like the king. It doesn't say like the king of France or whatever.
0: Exactly. It's
1: like the king of the land.
0: Yeah, because these are supposed to yeah, be operating outside of time and also outside of any like religious experience. Interesting. It is, right? Yeah. We should do a podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> so the last term that I kind of want to look at are legends. So legendary figures are fascinating because they usually spring from a real person or persons or from a real event that happened. And slowly they'll kind of blow them out of proportion. (laughs) They start doing tasks that, you know, they'll start to kill a bar when he was only three and (laughs) <laughs> wear a coon skin cap because that's what he did or i'm making allusions to davy crockett in case people don't <laughs> know my references
1: it's interesting it's one of those terms where it's like i knew the definition but i never actually knew the definition like and people use it kind of correctly you know and talk about oh that guy's a legend or whatever yes. like modern legends like
0: um chuck norris you know like
1: Chuck Norris, exactly. Chuck Norris is a great example because he's a real person. He actually does have arguably some skill with like martial arts, but he's become this character that's like, you know, he can. I can't think of any Chuck Norris jokes right now, but you know, he can do all these <laughs> just ridiculously failure. overpowered things. Yeah, that's great. But you know, again, you think about, you know, I think about legends. You go back to like the founding fathers. You hear all this stuff like Benjamin Franklin, sailing his kite, flying his kite to get struck by lightning, and um, you know. George Washington who chopped down the cherry tree. And it's like, did that ever really happen? Probably not, people think, but.
0: Yeah, there's there's no kind of discernible evidence. And what's interesting is legends begin to form, uh, to bind communities together. Because like what right now we're talking about a lot of like American legends. And those are obviously fairly like, not modern, but you know when I'm talking about Aesop's Fables that happened 600 right, 3, years 000. BC. Yeah, uh, when much I, more recent. Yeah, when I look back to just you know when America was founded and we we create these uh, legendary figures that exemplify the qualities that we really want for America.
1: Yeah, so the legends then embody the our values, like our national values, something that we can kind of rally behind
0: yes like
1: honesty you know you've got the two ones that are honest you know George Washington chopping down the cherry tree honest Abe
0: well and then you know what's a little bit ironic and silly about those is we're like I would never tell a lie we're like is that story true and they're like "Mm, I don't know (laughs) (laughs) we value honesty but also (laughs) just kidding uh just because like that is the nature of storytelling that is like the nature of legends is that people become bigger than they actually were
1: yeah. Things get simplified. You know what I mean? Like you, it's, it's really hard to tell a good story with all the nuance. Like you, everyone's been involved in someone telling a story and they go into every little detail and it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's a hundred percent accurate for the sake of the story and the impact that you're trying to give it. So again, the more time that goes on, the more things get simplified and exaggerated and, you know, try to kind of boil down to the essence, which comes around, like you said, the value that we're yeah. wanting to instill through telling that story
0: which is what i think is so fun about chuck norris jokes is that the tellers like chuck norris is still alive everybody can quickly fact check to see if like <laughs> like can he kill a gorilla like you know like, <laughs> yeah i don't think chuck norris would ever want to kill a gorilla like just to be clear I was just trying to think of something big and strong but anyway what's what's funny is like they're they're so tongue-in-cheek like everybody act everybody knows that you know chuck norris isn't really going to do the things that they joke about him doing or that he's strong enough to do the things that like he's doing and so it's a little bit tongue in cheek that we're like oh we're making him into a legend but also we're aware of what we're doing right it's very meta and i i love it as opposed to, you know, I don't know, maybe 50 years from now when people are like, you know, Americans used to be strong warriors. And, you know, think about Chuck Norris, the legendary figure Chuck Norris, who is so strong. And we'll have Disney musicals about him. And
1: it- <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I hope to live to see those days.
0: And it'd be, it'd be funny, like if we do. But, um, and what's interesting, in the day that we're living, also, when you look back at these legends, is we're a lot more aware of things that are true versus exaggerated for the sake of national pride, just because, you know, we're very much like, well, let's look and see if that's actually a true story. Oh, it's not a true story. And then we question, okay, does it have a value? What it's, What is its value? and right now our society what they're valuing is being able to notice that people are both good and bad that oh, yeah. that they're that they're capable of very very good things but also very terrible things at the same time and so i feel like since those values are becoming more important than you know creating a national story of like how great we all are how great our founding fathers are as we start valuing looking at humans as capable of complex yeah yeah, as being complex
1: and like nuanced
0: yeah this those stories the legends that we tell are i think going to become less and less um important to, mm-hmm. in in a context of storytelling to create that national story. Right. I think they'll still be told or they'll still be remembered as like, oh, so America used to do this interesting thing just like a lot of other countries, but it's easier to look at this new country's way of handling legends. So, yeah, I I'm fascinated by legends, how legends can then turn into more fairy tales. Robin Hood is a good example of that of how a legendary figure can then start entering into fairy tale stories. And I think I, I would have to double check on myself, but also I think Santa Claus falls under oh yeah, a legendary figure that then starts getting into fairy tale territory. Are you talking
1: about like, you know, you know, Saint Nicholas? saint nicholas being a real person but then that person's legendary status getting blown up so much that now we think of him with riding on a sleigh driven by flying reindeer and having elves
0: i was actually thinking more about the real krampus that existed and and krampus krampus who would truly in real life go around and just beat naughty children on the Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's like St. Nicholas or Father Frost or, you know, it's it's interesting how a legendary figure like a person who probably did really exist then starts turning into folklore and fairy tales like of their own. Now I'm going to write a whole series of American fairy tales and it's going to be all about like the mythical adventures of like Johnny Appleseed and George <laughs> Washington and their encounters with fairies.
1: That'll be awesome. I look forward to it.
0: <laughs> My new book series out next fall. <laughs> so I think that the study of all of these things, fairy tales, folk tales, fables, legends, myths, I think all of it is very important to understanding both how human beings have enjoyed storytelling to bring people together and how that has changed over time and how it's served a multiple purposes And also a super important thing to me is that when you study different mythologies, folk tales, you start to be able to understand the new stories that are being created, the contemporary stories that are being created out of an area. And something that I hope turns into some kind of a lifelong passion for me is amplifying fairy tales from places that are not Europe. I feel like, you know, currently we have people who are kind of being forced to learn about the Bible and European mythologies so that they can understand Western literature. And Western literature is important. I think all are important to listen to. But also... We have so many rich stories from other parts of the world that influence their art. And there's no way that we're going to be able to understand like Japanese literature or the story of anime if me, as a Western person, if I don't understand the stories that they've told in the past.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like, it's one of those things that I think is really interesting about it is just being able to understand different cultures like even our even our own in the sense that when you're looking at fairy tales or whatever from different cultures and you start to see what types of things they value what types of things are important to them based on the types of stories they tell based on what happens in them and you start thinking more about you know our own stories in that same kind of way and you can find like similarities differences whatever um, but like the more, you know, like the same thing, like the more I understand Greek mythology, the better I'm going to understand a lot of, you know, Shakespeare, the same thing like you said, you know, you can understand more anime by understanding Japanese culture because there's so many things that make their way in there that are, are from, you know, these common stories that like make no sense to us because we we don't have the same kind of like context surrounding them.
0: Yep. And it's the same, just understanding like South American art, understanding african art there's no way of fully being able to understand that i don't think unless you understand the stories that are being told with with the art because people pass on a visual language it's funny i was recently telling my sister it's funny that i make memes about fairy tales because fairy tales were memes they are culture that is being passed down through visible symbols And that culture through those visible symbols, you know, if you think of an apple, you thinking of either Adam and Eve, a poison apple, like there's all this like back history that's just connected to that one thing. And it was it went throughout culture and now it means more than just an apple I hope everybody enjoys listening along as we travel around the world and through time looking at all of these myths and legends. Jeff and I are both going to try to be looking at uh, just a wide array of stories to tell you and drawing from stories that we have today.
1: That's one thing I'm looking forward to is being able to hear stories that I haven't heard before. Same thing with like on the blog where the, I love reading stories. It was like even, a, you know, grim stories that just they haven't heard. But it'll be really interesting to get into stuff that is covering different cultures just because of all the opportunities to learn that we'll have about, um, you know, different cultures and different periods in time. And I think it'll be a really cool, you know, it's it's a podcast about fairy tales But we're going to learn about so much more than just fairy tales. We'll learn about science. We'll learn about religion. We'll learn about history and culture and different places all over the world. And I think that's a really exciting journey to go on. And I'm happy that hopefully some people are going to be, you know, joining with us and being able to point us in towards interesting, um, you know, fairy tales or whatever from from cultures that they are familiar with
0: yeah i mean i feel like my biggest dream for this podcast is that some folklorists who have like doctorates they want to like email me and be like you're wrong and i get to be like please tell me more (laughs) i'm so excited (laughs) and you'll
1: have their emailers that you can just pepper them with questions yeah
0: Because this is, I'm excited to to delve into stories and to learn more and then to tell people, you know, what I'm finding because it's all been really fascinating stuff that I've been looking at so far. You've been listening to The Fairy Tellers Podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. For more fairy tale content, head over to thefairytellers.wordpress.com for lighthearted retellings, or follow us on Instagram for daily fairytale memes at the fairy underscore tellers. Special thanks go to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional
1: music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at incompetech.com.
0: Farewell, and may the blessings of elves and men and all free folk go with you. May the stars shine upon your faces, J.R.R. Tolkien.